Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Show. I have been looking forward to this podcast for a long time. And this is so cool because I have a special guest. Never had him on the show before, but I've been talking about him for years and years. And a lot of you probably already know who he is, but I'm going to uh, tell you and introduce him to you here in just a minute. But first, I want to let you guys know, if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, you can get show notes, all the show notes of past episodes, uh, transcripts of past episodes, and uh, you can even, like a lot of times on this episode, I'm sure we'll give out some links and places that you can go to. And you can go check out the links if you're driving and you don't want to stop and write something down, okay? So go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and uh, check it out. Now, I want to real quick read to you a few of the reviews that we have in iTunes. It blows me away. It humbles me every time I see these reviews. Uh, I have 462 five-star reviews about there, I think. But I um, just wanted to read a couple of them. This is from M. Jefferson 37. He says, excellent, excellent podcast. Between his mind mapping and podcast, Joe gives an incredible amount of free information for investors of all experience levels. I never miss a podcast and recommend it to all my other investor friends. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, M. Jefferson 37. <laughs> I got another one here I want to read to you. It's from Edwin3000. Great podcast. Five stars. Thanks for your podcast, Joe. I listen to several podcasts about real estate, and yours is one of the best. I appreciate all the valuable information you give. I look forward to hearing more from you. So I appreciate the reviews, guys. So please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, and leave a review there. I'd really appreciate it, and hopefully I can read yours as well. All right? Now, I want to get into this with Peter Conti. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to have Peter Conti on the show. Peter has written a lot of really good books. One of my favorites is called Multiple Streams of Income, and we'll be talking about that. I'm not even sure if it's available on uh, Amazon anymore. Is it, Peter? Multiple Streams of Income? Uh, it. I'm going to get it back up there. In fact, I just just uh, republished it recently, and, and later on we can maybe give someone a link to where they can go to get one if they want. Actually get a free copy if they pay for the shipping. So. Oh, nice, nice. I am looking here on Amazon. You still have some good books in here. One of my favorites, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot, Peter, is Making Big Money, Investing in Real Estate Without Tenants, Banks, or Rehab Projects. And you wrote that book back in 2002. Is that right? Yeah. Doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but time flies and you're having fun. <laughs> uh, one of my mentors got started reading your books. And it's just amazing uh, seeing people. Uh, you've probably seen this a lot, Peter. You've been in the business for a long, long time. Some of your students now are mentoring other students. This just happened to me recently. One of my students that I was coaching about three years ago has been very, very successful. And now he's coaching students as well. It must feel pr pretty good, doesn't it, to know and see the impact you've made in people's lives? Yeah, definitely. And that's a good reflection of a, a good teacher, right? When their students surpass them. So yeah, that's, that's, you know, always my goal is to help someone get out there. And isn't that cool that real estate is, is I mean, it's still fun and exciting and new to me, even though I've been doing it all these years. Mm -hmm. that, that's just awesome. 
I mean, there are not many businesses like that. A lot of things you get in and people burn out after a period of time by doing the same stuff. The nice thing with lease options in particular is that it's always an effective strategy. And I think right now we can talk about this, but yeah, with yeah. what's going on in the marketplace, uh, something that most of you that are listening to this are going to probably want to take a close look at. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, you've seen a lot of market cycles, Peter. And I want to ask you to share a little bit about your story, how you got started in real estate. You got a really cool story. I love hearing it. But you've seen a lot of market cycles. And we're coming into a period right now where you, if you don't understand creative financing, you're going to be hurting. It's really, it's a really important skill, isn't it, in this market? Definitely. Definitely. I think, I think in any market, but, you know, being able to buy a property where, you know, someone's tried to sell a property, they haven't been able to sell it or, or they're motivated or they need to move quick. You know, I've, we've done deals on properties just where I, there's one I remember, Joe, I, I don't mean to pick on this per person or pick on realtors in particular, but there was this realtor that we went in to look at the house and you had to turn sideways to walk down the hallway. There was so much junk wow. stacked up in this house. Yeah. And they, you know, they couldn't sell. <laughs> so we put together a lease option deal on that. Of course, went in, helped them clean out the house, got it where it showed good, looked good, smelled good, you know, put, sold it on a rent owned basis and ended up making some good money on that. So yeah. definitely having, having the tools of not just knowing the strategy, but how do you find deals? What do you say to sellers? How do you get someone to agree to a creative deal or a, a nothing down deal, as some people refer to them, yeah. is really the secret. Well, and you've seen how many different cycles would you say you've seen? You know where the market's gone up and down. Gosh, I don't know, several at least. You know what's interesting though about that is that any anyone that if they're in a if they're in a hot market and you're just getting started investing in real estate, the rookie is gonna they're gonna say, oh, it's too hard to find deals. I wish I was in a you know oh, a yeah. soft market. And <laughs> yeah. then in a soft market, you know that that same rookie is like, oh well, you know I can't really find any buyers. This is hard. But so it's, you know, for the average person out there that doesn't understand your message here on the Real Estate Mastery podcast, uh -huh. that no time's a good time to invest in real estate. Well, what if you bought, if you bought something 10 years ago? Oh, yeah, that would have been, a, that would have been a great time. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Right now is 10 years from, yeah. 10 years from today, right? Yeah. So if you get started and go out and start putting some deals in place, creating some cash flow, you can do a wholesale lease option that you're the master at, Joe, and make some uh, uh, great money right away or put together a longer-term deal, and it's awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. I remember when I was getting started, I quit my job, went full-time in 2009, and the market was in a free fall. I mean, it, 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 at the time, it was scary and still took another two or three years before it got the worst. But I remember thinking, oh, man, am I getting – is this a bad time? Am I, uh, am I, am I starting? Should I, I wish I would have started, quit my job three years ago, but, um, no, I mean, they, they say just like with planting trees, right? The two best times to plant a tree is 20 years ago and today. Yeah. So it's the same with, it's the same with real estate. Peter, would you mind talking a little bit about how you got started in real estate? Yeah. Well, I think, I think uh, what, the first thing I'll share is the point in, in my life where I made a decision that, yes, I was going to I was going to do something, take action, because, you know, it's great to watch webinars and read books and listen to podcasts and dream about, wow, wouldn't that be great if I had the cash flow, if I had the money, I could, you know, I wouldn't have to work for this boss I hate or I could really be following my passion and do the things that I love most in life. 
And that's what real estate to me is really about. It's giving us the ability to use real estate as a vehicle to go out and do the things we were really meant to do. And so for me, I was like a lot of people, maybe listening to the show here today. Maybe you've listened to some podcasts and you've, you've gone and watched some webinars and read some books and things. And, and you've, you know, you've seen a lot of the stuff you've seen, let's face it, is hype and some stuff is overblown. But you, you get it that real estate is over time is going to definitely go up in value. You look at the population projections for most any area of the country, if you're living in a decent area. And in some of these places, Joe, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now, the population is predicted to double. And every single person in that new population moving into that area is going to need a place to live. What that means is that the real estate is going to be worth quite a bit more than it is now. So I was at that point where I'd read some books. I kind of had this idea of I wanted to do real estate investing someday, but it really hit me one cold winter day. I was working in a, an auto repair shop. I was a mechanic then. Came up in a family with seven kids. My parents weren't able to help us with schooling. They got us together and said, hey, we want all you kids to go to college, but we can't help you out. Good luck. Huh. <laughs> uh, so... I ended up not going to college, was working as a mechanic. Back in the shop, the owner was really chintzy. I mean, he kept the heat down. It was like 55 degrees back wow. there. My hands are, are freezing. I, I had to have this like drop light under the hood just to have some light to see because it, it was dimly lit shop. And I'd only worked there a couple weeks. And I didn't realize that up front in the office, there was actually this coffee maker up there. I saw Chuck, the shop foreman, walk out of the front office with this big, hot, steaming cup of coffee in his hands. I'm like, wow, that's that's for me. I grabbed a mug out of the top of my box, went up there, poured myself a hot, hot mug of this coffee and wrapped my fingers around it just to warm them up more than anything else. And I, I'll never forget this moment. The owner of the shop, get this, Joe, he comes over, he says, Peter, that coffee is for customers only. Oh, wow. I'm just like, wow, I feel about two inches tall. For those of you who listen to this, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but that was the point for me where I just, I made a decision right then and there that I was going to do whatever it takes to be in charge of my financial future. Wow. And that was the point when I made the decision. It wasn't too terribly long after that where I decided that I was going to get going out there, starting to invest in properties. And I had all kinds of people who told me, you know, it's, it's not a good time and isn't that risky and you know what? There's risks with everything in life. And to me, the biggest risk was doing nothing. While I enjoyed being a mechanic, I looked at people who had been doing that all their life and, you know, they didn't seem like they were doing that great. They were still working a physical job and and uh, having to go to work every day to create income in a linear fashion. And I went out and got started with my investing. Uh-huh. So the uh, tell me again what year that was. Uh, 1990 was the year I ended up buying my first property. And one of the things interesting about that is I just said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get, I just want to get that first deal done, which as you know, Joe, you'll work harder on that first deal. Yeah. (laughs) If you're like most people on this call, you're going to work harder on that first deal than you probably will any other deal in your life because you're overcoming all this inertia in your mind of, you know, can you really pull this off? Uh, my belief is that if someone else can do something, then you can model what they did. And yes, it's going to take some time and effort. There are going to be some frustrations and challenges. But if you stay at it, and in particular, if you've got someone who's done it before that can show you the ropes and and keep you pointing in the right direction, it's just a matter of time before you make it happen. And so I ended up finding a real estate agent. His name was Don. He found this uh, duplex for me. 
It was at a time when HUD properties were selling with a special program where it was 5% uh, down for an investor. And he said, it's a great deal. I didn't really know. I was scared to death. I just said, great, here's the contract. I'll sign it. I remember being at the closing. And for those of you on this call who, you know, you like the idea of investing, but you're, you maybe you get right down to it. You're just a little bit fearful also. That's perfectly normal. I was scared to death. I was physically shaking at that closing. I, I think the reason was that I was scared, but I was also, I knew that real estate for me was was probably my only avenue that I could see at that point out. I couldn't do a lot. I mean, I could be a mechanic. I could work in a warehouse. I could do a few things like that, but I couldn't go out and make the kind of money that you can as a real estate investor. Yeah. So it was really important to me for that to work out. I remember Don reached over and he, he said, Peter, it's okay. Take a deep breath. He patted me on the back. He said, it's going to be okay. And that one duplex, I remember we would drive by it and my oldest daughter, she would say, dad, don't sell that one. That one's going to put me through college. And it put not only her through college, but it put uh, her sister through as well. And then, of course, the other properties put the other t- two kids through college. So it really is important to get out there and get that first deal to happen. And then it was later that I discovered that you could get an owner to agree to lease you their property over a period of time and give you the ability to buy it. Uh-huh. And depending on the market, you obviously are going to negotiate that price down as low as you can. But even if you, in a strong market, even if you agree to pay something close to today's current value, if you can combine that with a longer term lease, and I like to get leases a minimum of five, six years, generally they end up being eight, 10, 12 years when I put them together, because the longer a term you get, the more certain it is that you're going to make, number one, make money, and number two, make a lot of money. And we can talk about some of the ways you do that well, if, yeah, if you want later in the call. I, I definitely want to talk about that. Do you, do you have any... I've never done a lease option for that long. Is it, do you find it's any easier or harder to get a property under contract for that long of a term? Well, the biggest mistake that people make when they, when, you know, when they go in, if they don't know what they're doing is they don't put the right frame around the negotiation from the beginning. Uh So they'll go in and they know that they need to agree on this, this length of lease term. And they'll do something like ask the owner, well, how long would you go on a lease? And the owner will say, well, I might go six months or maybe a year, in which case you're starting out negotiating from a year. So if you started a year and you negotiate them up to two or three years, that's probably as far as you're going to get. And what we did is we paid very close attention to language patterns. I seem to have a knack of being able to just get in the flow and really, I mean, I love people and I love connecting and creating the rapport and, and, and it's through that connection a lot of times when you're meeting with a seller that that's more of the reason almost that they do the deal with you than the fact that it's, yes, it's financial and it needs to make sense to them, but people do deals with people that they know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And so the quicker you can get at being able to make friends fast with someone and create rapport the better an investor you're going to be. In fact, for all of you on this call, I recommend you start practicing this everywhere you go. Start talking to people at the airline checkout counter and ask oh. them, hey, how's your day going? They taking care of you here okay? Gosh, boy, you guys put in a lot of lot of effort here, probably, probably aren't rewarded very much. I really appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> uh, rather than the person, you know, behind you in line that's going to chew them out because they, their flight got canceled or whatever. So oh, yeah. what we found is that 
I was pretty good at being able to come up with language that really worked just using my intuitive sense more than anything. And then my partner, David, at the time, he was there making notes and copying it down and, and refining it. And, and uh, with our students that we had would create these scripts to say, you know, we'll just say this and do it like this. I'll, I'll give you the script we use to frame a deal to get a long-term lease option in a second here. Yeah. But this is the background of how it came about. And David was a master at that. And so what I we found thought, is that- I thought you were the master of that, Peter. Well, I take all the credit. <laughs> he does all the work. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, David's a good guy. So the way that you frame it is you say, gosh, as far as figuring out how long of a lease term we could go, my my partner's going to want us to go with at least a, um, a um, medium length term of five, six, seven years, possibly longer than that. He might even want to go longer than that. What's the longest you could go knowing that the longer we go, the closer we could come to your price? You've, you've covered the price with them before this. Wow. Basically saying if you if you want the, you know, the, the top number that we've negotiated you down to already here. We can do that, but we're going to need to have it for a longer term. That's key point number one that I want you listening to this podcast to take away is how you frame something going into negotiation definitely makes a difference. So with that example, they might say, oh, gosh, I don't know. I could go, you know, four, maybe four years, you know, possibly five. So you're starting out negotiating from three, four or five rather than negotiating from six months. And that makes all the difference in the world. Nice. The other thing is that. If you can get someone to agree to a five or six year lease, you can pretty easily get them to agree to a longer term lease. One of the things that we found was very effective was you put the deal together and they've agreed to say a five year lease. And once you've got everything in place, you add on this one little bit where you say, you know, I get paid on this when we turn around and and um, sell the property at the end. So I'm going to I'm going to get you your cash out of this property just as soon as I can. I mean, it might happen in a year or two, three years. Who knows? Depends a little bit on the market. But I'm a very conservative investor. We found that was good language. People like mm. they figure someone's conservative. They're not a risk taker. They can relate to that. I'm a conservative investor. And because of that, you know, if the market just who knows if the market really goes down or something, I want to stay in this deal and be in it long enough to make sure that you get paid and get taken care of. So would it be okay with you if, you know, assuming all my rental payments came into you on time over those five years, if we were to renew this just for one more five-year term, would that be okay with you if we wow. if we put that in there? Now, you'll notice if you're listening to this that, what did I say? I said one more five-year term. I didn't say one more year. And the, the way we discovered, <laughs> the way we discovered a lot of this is by working with our students over the years. Uh, there was a, a gentleman, I'm still in touch with him, he's out in California, his name is John, and John was one of our early clients, and John just would not sign up a deal. He was just, he was afraid, right? And the the contracts we use, I'm sure yours are the, are the same way, Joe, they're set up. You get a seller to sign it, that commits the seller to you as the investor, it does not commit us as investors over to the seller. We can get out at any point in time that we want if yeah. you're using the right contracts. Right, right. And John just... You know, he would get on the phone call with us and we're like, great. He's like, yeah, I get this property. We're like, great. Did, you know, did you send over the contract? Oh, well, I didn't I didn't sign it up. You didn't sign it up. No, no, I didn't sign it up. Well, we basically said sign it up or we're not going to talk about the deal. So finally, he he signed up the deal. We looked at it. It was a seven year deal. And we went through, reviewed it with him. We said, this is great, John. 
the only the one tip we'd have, we gave him a few things to do, but the one thing we told him, we said, you should really go back and just ask for a, a one-year extension, worst case, to turn it from a seven-year into an eight-year. And John misunderstood us. He went back and used that language that I shared with you of, I just need one more seven-year yeah. term, <laughs> and they agreed to it. <laughs> so, wow. So, you know, the fun thing about creative investing lease options is it, it's all, it's almost like monopoly money. It's the seller's money. It's their, it's their house, their, their equity, their everything. It's all there on the table. As an investor, when you really master buying a property, using a long-term lease and turning around and selling on a rent-to-own basis, you're in a position where you're, you're basically playing with the other person's money in a good way. I mean, I'm not to say we're, sure. we're just taking their money and being frivolous with it, but it opens up all kinds of avenues. So for someone my, like myself who started out as an auto mechanic, I think when I first started my investing, I had about $1,500 in the bank. And so many people I've heard over the years where they say, yeah, I'm going to buy real estate. I'm, I'm saving up my money to, to buy real estate someday. Well, if you do the math on that and compare the amount that you're saving up to what properties cost and what they're going to cost five years, 10 years from now, the more you save, the more you get behind. You can't save money up as quickly, you know, obviously, as if you're buying, acquiring properties using creative methods where you can get in with a little or nothing down and do the the one thing that I found that is the absolute easiest way to make money ever in my life, which is you get a piece of real estate, you own it or you control it, and you just let that real estate go up in value over time. You don't have to do anything. Obviously, if you have the right systems in place, and that's why I like selling stuff on a rent-to-own basis where we get our tenants to be responsible for 100% of the maintenance on the properties. Yeah. You're not a landlord. You're putting finding people that have a, a situation that they couldn't solve. You might, one of my students called his investing program. He said, well, this is plan B. If you can't sell your house outright, I'm plan B. I'll, I'll buy it on a lease option. Yeah. Here's how it works. And it's awesome. That you, is. You've got these properties that are going, now if the market crashes and, and values go down, that's one of the reasons that we like a long-term lease, number one. Number two, the way we structure them, you're able to terminate that each year. So a eight-year lease is actually eight one-year leases, which guess who guess who has the right to cancel? Yeah, you you do. The investor. Guess who doesn't have the right to cancel? The seller. The seller, <laughs> right. So you have all the upside. I remember we had our agreement reviewed by an attorney at one point to see what he thought of it. And he said, well, I can't find anything that's a problem legally with this thing. I just can't understand how you would ever get someone to agree yeah. to this, was mm -hmm. his response. Oh, I hear that all the time from attorneys. It, no seller would ever take that offer. Yep. Yep. And that's I think that's a challenge for a lot of people that are just get, getting started with their investing. I mean, People, if you're, you know, if you're here listening to this call, you probably understand, yes, you know, you've watched the house flipping shows or whatever, and you know, if you had some capital to work with or a money person and you either paid all cash or you put down a, down, a big down payment and you got a loan, you understand how that works. You just don't understand how it is that someone would sell their house without you having to, to put down a down payment. I mean, I've gone in to negotiate on houses, put together a lease option deal where the house was a rental. I remember one, I, I walked in, walked past their rental application because they're they're looking for renters. It was kind of a tired landlord situation. You know, spent hour and a half, two hours there, walked out of there with a key to the property because that's one of the things I asked for is, hey, I'm gonna you know need to get in and show people, contractors the property, do you have a, do you have a key? Zero down deal, walk out of there with a key. I never did fill out their application. 
wow. was asking for, you know, yeah. social security number, all that stuff. And for the right person, someone who's in a situation, there's one gal that comes to mind. They were a military family. They were, they, they had to move. They hadn't been able to sell their property. They knew that this was kind of a plan B. It wasn't ideal for them. We said, look, here's what we can do. We'll, we'll, uh, lease your property for an amount equal to your house payment, which includes principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. So it's not going to cost you anything. We'll handle everything beyond that. Any maintenance, any repairs, we'll take care of that. Obviously, we're passing that along to our buyer, which we can get into later if you want. And let's agree on the price. And the purchase price was about 96% of the current value of the property. And they said, okay, well, we just need to have your agreement looked at by our attorney. I said, great. Let me just tell you, before you do that, the attorney is going to hate it. They're probably going to tell you not to do this and that you should just sell the house yourself. They said, yeah. okay, well, we'll have the attorney take a look at it. They called me up uh, the next week and they said, yeah, the attorney hated it, but we're going to go ahead and do the deal with you because that was the best option for them. They didn't want to leave and leave the house vacant and be dealing with it yeah. long distance and yeah. have someone, you know, kids coming by and throwing rocks through the windows, which we do bring that up, by the way, when we're negotiating with people. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The way you do that is you say to, to be nice about it and not like put it in their face is you say things like, well, you know, the good thing is that you seem to have a real calm disposition and probably wouldn't bother you when neighborhood came, kids came by and threw <laughs> rocks through the windows. It probably wouldn't keep you awake at night, huh? And you're using the negative phrasing trick. Yeah. I love yep. that. That's one of the biggest things I've took to, taken away from your books. Yeah. So, yeah, you talked about just a few minutes ago uh, your basic script starting the conversation with uh, approaching a lease option with a seller. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, how, do you, sure. how do you broach the subject? Well, it's something we call the instant offer system. And basically, the steps that are involved, if you're, if you're looking to put one of these together, first off, you need to qualify somebody. Then once they're qualified, you set an appointment as the second step. The third step is you go out, walk them through the instant offer system uh, with a goal of walking out of there with a signed agreement. And the qualifying is basically what you're trying to do is figure out, A, are, are they motivated? But we can have someone who's really motivated, but if they, if they need to have all their cash out of that property, even if they're willing to sell it for you know, 70 or 80% of the value, if we're trying to put together a nothing down deal and we don't have a money partner, you don't have a lot of capital, that's probably not going to work for a lease option deal, right? They can just be, hey, we're desperate. We got to sell. We'll do anything. We need our... 160000 out of this $190,000 house to go buy our next house. Uh -huh. Well, that's not, that's probably not going to be a nothing down deal. So we need to find out the answer to the question of, do you need cash? And what we found is if you ask somebody, do you need cash? What do you think their answer is going to be, Joe? You know? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you can't say, do you need cash? Because they're going to say, yeah, of course I need my cash. So we're looking for situations that there's a good indication that the seller isn't going to need cash and that they're going to have some motivation. Probably the, the very biggest, best one is if the house is vacant with a vacant property, you know they're obviously living someplace else. So there's a good chance they're not going to need the money out of the property. There's a good chance that they may be making payments on this house, in which case they might be making payments on this house and another house. Double payments is a great source of motivation for a seller. So a vacant property, if they're selling it, but they're also open to renting it. If you ever see an ad, I see these sometimes, lease 
for sale or lease. Yeah. Those are great people to contact, as you know. Yeah. The other property, if they've already purchased their other home, uh-huh. so we'll get someone on the phone and, you know, we're, we're just looking for one of these indications. So vacant, it's been a rental or they're open to renting and they're also, also sometimes we'll call landlords and say, hey, if, if I was, you know, I'm looking for a long-term lease of at least at least two or three years, are you open yeah. to something like that? They say, yes, great. Would you be, assuming all my rental payments came to you on time, would you be, be open to maybe selling at some point in time is the language you use. So a rental, it's also open to selling. Other home, if they've already purchased their other home, that's something we'll ask them about. And the way we do that is we say, oh, great, this, you know, tell me about the property. They're telling you about it. We say, wow, that sounds like a wonderful, wonderful property. Why would you uh-huh. ever consider selling it. Right, right. And they're just quiet. You listen listen to what they say. And they, they may or may not give you some information. But it's almost like someone's telling you that they've got this grand house up on the hill, the beautiful castle. And yeah, we're selling this and we're moving into a, a single wide down in the mobile home park. Almost like that you're responding to that question. Like, like oh my, why? That sounds like a wonderful property. Why uh-huh. would you ever consider selling it? And then, and then, uh, We'll say, okay, great. So where, you know, where are you moving to? Oh, we're moving to Los Angeles. Really? What what part of Los Angeles? Oh, on the west. Oh, great. Have you already picked out your home? Yeah, we're we're closing on in two weeks, or we bought it and we need to move right yeah. away. Yeah. Um, the other answer, which that would be a qualifying answer, right? Because they've already somehow got the financing, the money to buy their next house, which tells us they're not going to need the cash out. The other side of it is they say, oh no, well we can't. You know, we can't buy something until we sell this one. Okay, well, great. Not exactly what I'm looking for, but thank, thank you very much. Have a good day. You're and right. you move on to the next person you're talking to. There's also some ways that, that we put together deals where if someone has a free and clear property that you can put together a deal, big picture is they, they get a new loan maybe for half the value of the property, which is pretty easy to do, or you could bring that in yourself. Pretty easy to do, 50% loan to value loan. Get them some cash up front and then work out some uh, payments on the on the backside. Sure. That's a little more complicated deal, but that's what we're looking for: an indication that someone doesn't need all their cash out of the property, and effectively has and is in a situation where they wouldn't need any money. Is ideal. Sometimes, as you know, we have to come in and maybe we make up a, a back payment or uh, that type of thing, a small amount of money going in. Which, of course, we're going to look to our rent own buyer to cover that if we can. Uh-huh. And that's how we're qualifying them now. Once we're at the property, we're going to go through the instant offer system, and there's five steps to it. Okay. Uh, the first step is rapport, creating that connection that I talked about. The second step is what we call the upfront agreement. The third step is motivation. Yep. The fourth step is money, and we have a saying that we use, motivation before money. Yeah. Because sellers will always try and push you to give him an offer, tell you a price, what the terms are, either on the phone or I had a guy one time, he opened the front door and he said, okay, what's your deal? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I haven't, I haven't I, even seen the property. I'm not even sure if this yeah. is something I'd be interested in adding to my portfolio now. Yeah. And then the last step, number five, is what we call the what if step, which allows us to use some phrasing in a manner where we can basically get the seller to make the offer to us, which is really a lot of fun. It takes all the fear of rejection out of buying houses, right? Because you're not you're not asking someone, they're asking you. Sure. <laughs> you do it the right way. So we probably don't have time in this podcast to go through all those. We could dig into some later, maybe on another podcast. Okay, yeah. But uh, 
rapport you're familiar with. The upfront agreement is is some language that we use that basically takes away the ability for someone to to say, hey, that's really interesting. I, I want to think about that. Can you get back with me? And it gives them permission to say no. Right. Which is huge. Right. And it also gives you as the investor the ability to circle back around when they do try and pull that and say, well, let me think about it. Most of the time, 90% of the time, if someone tells you I want to think about it, really what they're saying is, no, I have no interest in this. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Please leave. And what as investors, especially if you're operating with limited time, maybe you're working another job, you've got kids, sports, all that type of stuff, you don't have time to be chasing after someone who has no intention of doing a deal. Yeah. So the upfront agreement makes it where you can just say, look, I'm just really kind of a black and white type of person. If you hate the ideas that we come up with together here today, would you be okay telling telling me that? And you always go to the negative side first. And they'll say, yeah, I'll, yeah, absolutely. If I don't like it, I'll tell you, great, great. That uh, makes sense. If if we come up with something that's not a fit for me here, I'm going to tell you that as well. I'm an investor. Obviously, I need to make a profit. Are you okay with me making a profit? Yes. Great. On the other side, if we do come up with something that's a fit, are you okay I don't know that we would, but if we did come up with something that was a fit, would you be okay letting me know that as well? They just told you that they're willing to tell you no. It makes sense that they're going to yeah. tell you they would say yes. And really, we're doing exactly what you said, Joe. We're taking away their ability to say, I'm going to think about it. You would much rather be able to say, I'm going to take that as a no. And then they'll tell you either, yes, that is a no, or they'll tell you the real reason or objection that they're not doing the deal, which is very helpful to putting deals together. That's good. The third step is if you're listening to this, do you remember what it is? Motivation. Motivation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're taking notes unless you're driving, in which case you can listen to it again later. In the motivation step, really, basically the big picture of what we're doing is someone who's got a property, they, they have so many options to do something with, with the house. They can, they can list it with a realtor and sell it. They can sell it themselves. They could rent it out. They could rent it through a property manager. They can move and leave, leave it vacant. They could do nothing and just kind of sit there and not ever solve their problem, which some people choose to do. And we found rather than going through and telling people, well, here's why you don't want to do that. What we found is if we can get the seller to tell us why doing a certain thing isn't a good thing for them to do, they're going to believe their own voice telling us something Number one, much, much better than anything we might say. Yeah. Number two, when they tell us something, it reinforces something that they probably already know. They probably already realize they're going to have to do something rather than just keep sitting there waiting to sell it or whatever the realtor didn't work out. But if we can get them to tell us that and then we reinforce it by doing things like going, what, what's that? Could you, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Could you tell me again? And they're, oh. they're saying, no, I'm not going to list it with a real estate agent. Oh, okay. I get it. I, I understand you're not going to list it with a real estate agent. Huh. And we have fun with that. We have fun with that. We say th things like, well, gosh, what, what were you hoping I could do for you here today is how we open up the motivation stuff. And they say, well, buy my house. Ah, great. You know, if I could, you know, give you a check for the full price, that'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Well, no, I, <laughs> no, I can't do that. What else have you tried? Oh, well, we listed with a realtor. And that worked out really well. This is this is kind of the... yeah. I don't know what you guys, it's not negative phrasing. It, it's, you're putting them in a position where their answer is going to be, no, if it had worked out well, would we be there? No, you wouldn't even be there, right? And it worked out really well? No. Oh, uh, why not? Tell me more about that. Well, they, you know, they did this, but they never, they had one open house and we never saw them again and blah, blah, blah. And they're telling you all the stuff that they hate about it. And then 
we want to reinforce that, right? So we'll say, okay, well, if you gave that realtor another chance, I mean, if you listed it for another six months, I'm sure they'd do a better job. And then they're like, oh, no, I'm not listening with that realtor. <laughs> well, maybe a, another realtor from the same office. If you, no, I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, maybe a different, no, I'm not listening with a real. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I get it. And so as much as we want to, in the beginning, you want to go in and maybe talk someone into doing a deal and and that's a mistake beginning investors make is that hey let me tell you about lease option and it's great and we'll yeah. hear payments and yeah. we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and here's blah 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 if you're doing all the talking as the investor and all the seller's doing is listening I know people do deals that way I'm not saying it doesn't work that way it just isn't a fit for me in serving the clients the people I found out there I want to get to know them yeah. I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know what their problem is. I want to guide them to all these other solutions. Maybe, you know, gosh, I mean, you well, could you, rent it out. That, 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 you also you are. Out, at least you'd get to to have fun flying over here on the weekends <laughs> to take care of the maintenance on the property. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is you're you're helping them because you're showing them how they could actually make the most money on the property, right? And um, Well, and you're walking them through all their options to basically where it's like, okay, well, your one option that's left is, is working with an investor. And yeah. there's a lot of people out there that work the, the either through wholesaling properties or buying, you know, buying for cash and rehabbing angle. And they probably had some people that have come in and, you know, made them an offer at, you know, 60, 70 cents on the dollar for the property. And for some people, that's just not a fit for whatever reason. They may not, they may not have the equity to be able to do that, or it may just offend them. They're not, there's no way that they're going to, agree to sell their house less for, you know, John Smith down the street that sold his house for whatever value they're stuck on. Mm -hmm. And so you can find a way where, great, we'll pay your price. One of my first mentors early on, he told me, and I found it very true over the years, he said, Peter, someone can have their price or they can have their terms, but they can't have both. Yeah. And with lease option investing, we're going in, we're very much buying on terms and then we're being flexible on price, but we're getting a long enough time period. Number one, number two, we're getting into the deal with little or no money. Uh, number three, we're bringing in a rent-owned buyer who's coming in with their own option payment to cover any costs we might have up front and ideally put some money in our pocket, pay us more in rent, pay us more in, in a option price. Our rent-owned buyers are coming in. We'll put them in generally on a two or a three-year term. We don't go any longer than three years with our rent-owned buyer because we, we don't really see that there's a great benefit in doing that. If they can't buy the property, they can't qualify for whatever reason, maybe they've got bad credit, they haven't got it quite cleaned up yet. At the end of three years, we can always say, hey, great, let's let's renew, let's yeah. go another two years, let's go another three years, if you've negotiated a long-term lease. And that's one of the main reasons we like a long-term lease is if your first rent-owned buyer doesn't cash you yeah. out, we'd like to be able to, to uh, put someone else on the property. Now, I think the one thing that I differ maybe from some other things I've heard out there is I'm very careful about getting a large option payment from someone and then keeping that if they don't buy the property. Oh, really? Talk about that. Well, one of the, the you take a great thing, any strategy out there, right? And then yeah. people will use it and take advantage of people. And then all of a sudden there's laws like there were in Texas to try and outlaw lease options. And, um, you know, if someone's put, first off, if someone buys a property in a traditional manner, if they if they buy it, and then they have to move two or three years later and sell that property. 
there's costs going into that deal and there's costs going out of that deal, right? Yeah. So it's going to cost them some money probably, unless they're in a very hot market, it's probably going to end up costing them some money to to be in that property for a couple of years and then and then move out and change their mind. So I don't have a problem with getting a, a reasonable option payment from someone and if they change their mind and don't don't want to execute or they, you know, for whatever reason, they're not going to buy the property. I don't have a problem with keeping that. Um, I don't want to have a large payment where maybe they put, you know, 10% down or probably even 5% down is pushing the limit on what I would want to keep. In fact, one of my methods of taking a property and having a property portfolio without being a traditional landlord is to take the property, whether you control it on a long-term lease. Let's say you've got a, a property, the long-term lease of a 10-year lease, just to stay within the realm of, of lease options. This works for a property that you could own conventionally as well. You sell that property on a rent-to-own basis, but you make it very easy for the person not to buy the property. Now, why why would we ever do that? Well, Number one, we know the value of real estate is going up over time. So the longer we've got the property, the, the more it's going to be worth. Number two, if someone does buy your property, most of the time in the deals I was involved in, I was taking that money and doing a 1031 exchange and moving that into another deal anyways. So I'm selling that one property. I've got to go out and find another deal. Why not just keep that same deal in place and let it keep cooking, right? Yeah. So the way we do that is a couple things we do. Number one, we are very aggressive on the option price that we give someone. So we're gonna we're gonna be tending to try and put the deal together with our rent-owned buyer where they're paying a higher amount rather than agreeing with a lower amount. And it's crazy that people will come in and look at a house to buy on a rent-owned basis. And the main thing they're concerned about is how much is the payment. Sure. I've had people who are like, great, great, yeah, this is awesome. We'll take it. Oh yeah, how what's the purchase price? <laughs> So we're aggressive on the price, and if they end up buying it, awesome. That's great, we'll sell it to you at that price, no problem. The other thing we do is we make their option payment fully refundable, So, which is kind of nice putting someone in the property. We say, look, here's how it works. Normally the option payment is non-refundable, but this month our company decided to try something different. We're gonna make it where the option payment is fully refundable if at the end of three years you decide you don't wanna buy the property. Totally your choice if you want to buy it or not. If not, you get your full option payment back. Wow. Now, we're going to get another option payment from our next rent home buyer coming in, right? So even if we had spent that money, which is probably a good idea to hang on to it if you're making it refundable, but even if it had been spent, we have more money coming in from the next person that we can pass along to them to get them their option payment back. And the key thing, when I first started doing these, we did, we did some deals where we would structure it where the, the tenant buyer was responsible for the first $200 in maintenance and anything above that, we would get the seller to agree to. We found over time that that was more complicated than it needed to be. And the key distinction that I found made the difference was with our person moving into the house, we would say, look, you're really, I mean, you're buying this property. Yeah, it's a rent-own deal, but it's it's your property. Because of that, you're going to be responsible for all the maintenance. And we recommend, we highly recommend that you have it professionally inspected. Now, who pays for that inspection? Obviously, the tenant buyer pays for that. Just like if someone's buying a house, they pay for the inspection. And the funny thing about that inspection is that in a crazy way, it draws this line in the sand. They say, oh, I, you know, I'm going to, even if like the heating air conditioning system goes out, I'm going to have to pay for that. Oh, yeah, that's why we recommend you have it professionally inspected. Yeah. Now, you know, Joe, as I do, that a professional inspection is 
I mean, it's not anything magical. They don't have the ability to tell you, yes, that furnace is going to break two years from now. You know, they look at stuff and if there's a current problem that they notice and and you're aware of, uh, we tell people, hey, if there's anything major, anything over $250 for one repair, we'll take care of that right up front right now. But they're basically just like when someone's buying a house conventionally, they have it professionally inspected because any point after that, after you buy the house, that's on the buyer, not on the seller. And we yeah. found the same thing works on a rent owned basis when you use that professional inspection. And we just say, great, you're you're responsible for all, all the repairs. Now, have I had some people call me over the years and ask me about – I had a guy call me one time. He said, there's a snake in the garage. I said, look, I don't huh. like snakes. In fact, I probably – I don't like snakes even more than you do. I'm not sure why you're calling me. We're not doing the maintenance like I told you. Yeah. So good luck right, with that. Right, Here's right. a, you know, call pest control in the yellow, you know, search online or whatever and uh, find the snake guy to come get rid of it for you. And isn't that cool that you can use just like that one piece of creative investing to totally change the whole lifestyle. I mean, I, I've seen people out there that are traditional landlords. They drive their truck. They're going around looking to buy faucets for, you know, $2 less a piece. They're going and doing repairs themselves. They're, it, it's not a horrible life. It's better than probably, you know, driving, commuting to a job every day someplace. But why not find a way to put deals together, decent properties, good locations. You know it's going to go up in value over time. If you can get into them using something like a lease option where you're doing it with little or nothing down, even make money up front when you're getting some uh, an option payment from your tenant buyer up front. That's awesome. You've got these different properties out there that are that are earning you money. I've done the math on some of my deals over time with the money that it made over whatever two-year period or six-year period of time or whatever. I take that amount and divide it by like a 40-hour work week. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that, you know, that thing made me $7 an hour uh, all this time when I wasn't doing anything. I didn't have to go to the job. It was making me $7 an hour for that whole time. I think that's, I think that's crazy. I think it's crazy that we live in a world where that's possible and more people uh -huh. don't see the opportunity to do it, yeah. quite, quite frankly. I love that. I, um, I wish we had more time, Peter, to dive deeper into this. What would be – we need to schedule a part two, if that's okay. And Because uh, I want to talk about – more about lease options, but I also want to talk about commercial. You do, you've done a lot of commercial deals, and you've got a really good book called Commercial Real Estate Investing for Dummies. So is it okay if we schedule another podcast and talk about that? Yeah, that'd be awesome. I've also got a, a place that people could go if they wanted to get yes. the How to Create Multiple Streams of Income book. Yes, um, what is that? It is freeleaseoptionbook.com. Nice. Freeleaseoptionbook.com. Very right. nice. Okay. And uh, the deals I mentioned earlier, we you know we buy the book for you. We send you you know a real physical book that you can sit down and dig through. It's a quick read. I think it's 270-some pages, but really lays out all the steps of how you find these properties, how you put them together, and how you can make money doing this. I bought the book for you. You just pay the shipping, and we'll, we'd be happy to send you a copy out if you go to freeleaseoptionbook.com. Nice. Thank you so much, Peter. Guys, this is one of those podcasts that you need to go back and rewind and listen to again and take some notes, especially when the, the, the scripts that Peter just gave you, gold. That's like a you. <laughs> that is so gold. Like if you study and you read some of Peter's books, get this book, freeleaseoptionbook.com, because he dive, he dives deeper into the scripts 
that would be um, very, very helpful for you. All right. So, uh, guys, if you're driving right now on the road, and if you know if you can't, we only gave you one link on this episode: freeleaseoptionbook.com. If you can't remember that, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Get the show notes of this, and that link will be in there. Peter, we're going to talk again real soon, and uh, I sure appreciate you being on my podcast. You get you don't do very many podcasts. We didn't even talk much about kind of what you're doing or what you have done the last few years. You you hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, which is insane. Well, yeah, maybe we can get into that in the next I'd, in the I'd, next uh, show. I'd love to talk about a, that. Yeah, quite a story. <laughs> not not I didn't like. I kind of. It's funny how things sometimes uh, you have like what appears to be an unfortunate turn of events, and then great stuff comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to say before we sign off here, I I appreciate, respect, and admire each one of you that are listening to Joe's podcast here. Nice. There's a lot of people you could tune into. Joe is one of the very best. And just the fact that you're listening here lets me know that you're the type of person that wants to do more, be more, be able to help people out there, make a difference with your life rather than just falling into the standard, you know, get an education, go to a job, commute, drive, being average. You definitely are on track to be not only more than average, but to be great. And this is the place where you get the ideas to do it here on the Real Estate Mastery Podcast. So I want to just thank you for tuning in and the ability for Joe, you and I to connect uh, through the magic of podcasting here today. Yes. Well, thanks, Peter. Again, we're going to schedule – we'll end this recording here in just a minute. We'll schedule another time to be on and do another podcast. And I'm excited about this book, freeleaseoptionbook.com. Go get it. And uh, we'll see you guys soon on another podcast. Thank you, Peter. Take care.